What a great Monday night game to finish week two. And there was only one Monday night game last night, the Buffalo (laughs) Bills. And (laughs) the Tennessee. What? That was, night a, football. that was only a half a game. Your game, your Minnesota Viking game, was like just a quarter of a game. That was, I don't even know. Actually, there, it actually ended up being more competitive than the Bills-Titans game. But uh, I'm sure you squirmed a little last night. That was fun. I- I'm starting to understand the logic behind two Monday night football games. You roll the dice that one of them is actually going to be good. I know. Poor. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes, neither will be good. By the way, the show is PFT Live presented by Google Pixel. PFT Live presented by Google Pixel. Look, I mean, look at you, after man. All this time, all these years. Somebody finally welcome. got dumb enough to sponsor you. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> welcome, Google Pixel, to the fun that is PFT Live. And welcome to the Peacock Audience Series XM85. Everyone and anyone who is enjoying the program, we are back live on Sky Sports NFL. Just as I was preparing to start dropping S-bombs again, we will keep it clean. Podcast audience, wherever, whenever, however you listen, we've got two hours to break down. Last night's Monday night football game, the Bills and the Titans, and that's the only game we will be talking about. (laughs) Google Pixel, though. Google Pixel, look at you. That Google money, that's big money right there. I mean, then sponsoring your little segment on Sunday Night Football on Football Night in America. I mean, wow. I, I, you just, I, I went away for the weekend and came back, and you got richer and more important. This is, this is fun. This is a good start. Let, let, let me tell you something. As you know, the money flows to the people who pay us, which help justify the salaries that we already are getting. And secondly, the fake bricks behind me will be replaced with new bricks, gold bricks. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the Bills are pretty damn good. Yeah. And they, they, they took out the Rams, the defending Super Bowl champions, 31 to 10. They turn around and take out the number one seed from last year's AFC playoff field, 41 to 7. My math is not very good, but it's good enough to come to the conclusion because I already saw the score somewhere else. 72 to 17 is the combined score of the two victories by the Bills right out of the gates. I was concerned that there was too much pressure on this team. Maybe there wasn't enough. My God, they are incredible, and they already have that vibe. And I know there's a long way to go. There's 15 games to go, and it can all change very quickly starting this weekend when they play the Dolphins, who are also 2-0. All of a sudden, game of the week, game of the century, game of the millennium. But the Bills look pretty good, Chris. The Bulls, the Bills uh, I mean, you said it, there's 15 games left, but I'd be shocked if they're not one of the top-tier teams when we get, you know, 15 games down the road here at the end of the football season. I, I think you've heard me say, you know, throughout the offseason, even in the pregame out there in L.A., they're a team on a mission. I really do get that sense just hanging out there that day. I think Josh Allen 
he wants to go into another stratosphere of greatness. You, it looks right now that you almost have to play a perfect game to beat them. Now, we'll see. As the year goes on and people get used to Ken Dorsey's offense and can they crack the code there and make life hard on Josh Allen in that offense? Maybe, but right now that ain't even close to happening. I, I don't know about you, Mike, but like Josh Allen and the Bills get the ball, and I know this is my boy Blue and all that, and, and I like to wax poetically, but I, I, you, I think you can respect that I try to keep it pretty fair no matter who it is. I'm not afraid to criticize anybody or whatever. I just get the sense that it, it's almost unstoppable at this point. I do feel like it's almost in the – we're getting to the point with Josh Allen a little where it was like with Peyton Manning in the mid-2000s or even Aaron Rodgers in 2010, 11, 12, where you just go, it seems unstoppable. You know, he can pick you apart with the right decisions and, and really understands the defense and his offense. And then and it's like, okay, I don't like what I see there. I'll buy some time and we'll still get a big play out of this. And and that's where I just go, it's, it's become next level. It's different even than I think past years with the way he looks and the way their offense looks right now. And what it does, it puts so much pressure on the opposing it offense does, right? to keep up. Yeah. And, and what can happen is it all just can sort of crumble. Crumbles quick, quickly. right? Right. We saw it happen with the Rams in the second half of the week one game yeah. where, it's hey, you got to match him. You got to match him. You got to match him. And seven becomes 14, becomes 21, and it's over. And we saw it last night, really. The, the Titans tried to hang around, but again, it just feels like the wave is going to overpower you and there's nothing you can do about it because you're not going to be able to match them stride for stride point for point, score for score, that they're going to get their 30 to 40, are you going to get yours? And so far, we haven't seen anybody get more than 10. No, that's what I think is also dangerous is the other side of the ball here. Like, we know Allen's been pretty awesome here. This is going into year three of awesomeness with with Josh Allen. But I think this is the first time where, and again, I know this is weird to say because they had the number one defense statistically last year, but I I, I never thought that. You've heard me kind of – you know, rag on that a little bit. But this this year, it, it plays like it's one of the top-tier defenses of football. It's not like all oh, just coaching Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott, and the pressure of Josh Allen make you crumble. The defense kind of has the same feeling, too, where it's just like, no, we're good, and we're well-coached, and we can overpower you up front with waves of people and fresh bodies, and then you couple that on to your point, Mike, where – now, okay, the offense has put the other team's offense in a position where it's not comfortable. It's got to play a different style than it wants to, and that's what happened to Tennessee last night. And then now you got McDermott and Leslie Frazier who are going, well, now we know you got to pass it like three out of every four plays too. And now they're creative with all their stuff there. So it's they're rolling right now. There's no question. I thought maybe they'd die off after a long week, right, in between the first game and the second game. But, damn, they were sharp last night, and they certainly seem like if not the best team in football, they're in that conversation. The The ultimate way to avoid that 13-second end-of-game debacle is to never be in a situation <laughs> yeah. where it's even close with 13 seconds left. That's the best way to keep it from going awry again and never be in a situation where the game is close with 13 minutes left, much less 13 seconds. And I, I'm looking at the breakdown of the scoring, and it, you know, it's 7-7 seven seven at the end of one, 10 to 7 midway through the second no sign yet of what's to come and right. then you get 
a Stephon Diggs touchdown before halftime to make it 17-7. And then the second one, that was kind of the dagger. That was the moment. Like, they, they can't, the Titans can't. They can't come back. Yeah, they're not made for that. They're not built to come back from 17 down, especially when Derrick Henry is bottled up for 25 rushing yards on 13 attempts. Ryan Tannehill gets yanked after 117 passing yards and two interceptions yielded for Malik Willis, who didn't do much in his opportunity. Not that there was much that could have been done. It was just incredible. Diggs is incredible. Three he touchdowns is. for him last night. And without Gabe Davis... Gabe Davis with the ankle injury suffered in practice on Saturday. So what? Hey, you know, at a time when you could say we're just going to go blanket Stephon Diggs because it's Stephon Diggs and not really anyone that scares us, he still went off last night. Incredible what he did against the Titans. 12 catches, 148 yards. Not one, not two, but three touchdowns for Stephon Diggs, Chris. Yeah, he's he's uh, looks like he's having one of his best years of his career. Looks the best to me this year, just as far as uh, hair more explosive. I know it's something he worked on. I, I, I think, you know, you and I talked about this when I saw him at, at training camp a little bit. He had worked hard to put a little weight on, like good weight. And you notice it right away when you see it. You know, we know all the difference between good and bad weight, right? Like there's that guy where you go, okay, yeah, you look a little thicker, but it's kind of pudgy. Like, I don't know if this is going to be good or not. He was one of those where you looked at him and you went, man, he's he's rocked up. He looks like he's in shape and He's playing, I think, about 10 pounds heavier than he was in the past, and it shows. He's explosive as can be. And, again, another guy I think is on a mission to, to kind of show that he deserves to be in that conversation for, you know, top receiver in football, top five receiver in football. Um, but but you're right, Mike. I mean, I think the thing – I mean, this play here, Ken Dorsey, great job. Titans kind of trying to stop crossing routes, and Josh Allen, great read, and Diggs, great job with the route. I mean – they just they got it all going, but I, I think the point that you make, Mike, is just like you got to keep up. And there was a point early in the game where it was seven to seven, right? And they stopped the Titans on fourth and one, and you went, okay, here's their opportunity because it didn't seem like they were going to stop. I mean, stop the Bills on fourth and one, excuse me, uh, and and it didn't seem like. You know, they were going to really stop the Bills consistently, but you're going, okay, well, maybe they can get this game into the way the Tennessee Titans want to play it. 7-7, seven, seven, you get the fourth down stop. Let's see what happens here. And you can go down and score. Well, they don't. Nothing happens. No points. And then it was 10-7, and they got the ball back once again and went three and out. And then you were like, oh, wow. Well, you, you had two opportunities there to kind of either tie the game, take control of the game a little, and Josh Allen and company are just not going to let that go by the wayside there. And they took advantage of that, and it was just like you said, off to the races from that point on. And again, I can't help but wonder how much an offense presses knowing that we've got to score. I think you're we've right, We've got Mike. to score. We've got to score. It's, yeah. it's, it's got to be in your head because the game's going to get away from you quickly if you can't take advantage of the opportunities that you have and there aren't many teams that can do it I can think of one in Kansas City and maybe maybe this is what makes this Sunday so exciting maybe the Dolphins can respond and won't feel that same urgency every time they have it they just go do their thing yeah they go do right. their thing and they're going to score their points right if they are anything like they were in the fourth quarter of the game that we saw between the Dolphins and the Ravens. Here's Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs on the gigantic night for the former Vikings, now Bills receiver. Felt good. Um, getting in the ball early and often. He did a great job getting open, um, making plays, making some, some great catches. That long, long one was a great catch. Um, 
So he he is what he is. It's Stephon Diggs. You know, we, 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 we know he is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, you know, receiver in the game right now. And I trust him implicitly. I love that guy. He works his tail off. And I'll tell you what, on that long touchdown drive, I, I can't praise him enough. You know, he ran a, he ran a deep go. Um, he came back. He ran a quick out. He got a look. He's on the sideline running. And to have that, sa- that stamina and that want and that will to keep going, um, not taking a play off there, you know, and he got rewarded. But, again, I, I can't praise him enough for, enough for that because he just put his head down. He worked tonight. It was a lot left on the bone, really. Like, it was a, I had, like, a fade. We had some uh, plays where they jumped off sides. Just, like, taking advantage of opportunities at this point. Um, you know, I've been with Josh for a couple of years now, as I, as I said, like, a couple of weeks ago. It's just, you know, trying to fine-tune and trying to get better in all areas. So, at this point, you know, uh, that's two wins. Trying to, go, trying to get the next one. Stephon Diggs is the first player since Steve Smith in 2007 with at least 250 receiving yards and four receiving touchdowns in the first two games of a season. There is still a very long way to go, but the Bills are setting the tone. They have answered the call. They are as good as we thought they were going to be. They are actually better, Chris. They are dominant. And I was looking at their schedule a minute ago. Yeah. Four weeks from yesterday, right? they will have played six games and they'll be into their bye week. They've got the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Steelers, and the Chiefs before they get two weeks to prepare for a Sunday night showdown against the Green Bay Packers. You know, when you look at it this way, you realize how fast the season will fly know, by. But right. we'll be sitting here in four weeks, and I won't be surprised if this team is 6-0. and Yeah, I, I, w- I wouldn't be either. I wouldn't, it's, it's not easy. I mean, like you said, the Dolphins this week, that's still dangerous. Weapons galore. Defense is good. New scheme that McDermott and Frazier have to deal with with Mike McDaniel there. You know, and we know the Chiefs and the problems they give the, the Bills to a degree, but uh, they, they certainly seem, you know, them – the Eagles that we're going to talk about here later, but I would give the edge to the Bills. There as was far just as... one game last night. How many times do I have to say? <laughs> the Bills just look like right now and early, but the, the best team in football. They do. I don't have any problem saying that. And then I think when you couple that with Josh Allen, Diggs, Ken Dorsey, what they're doing on that side of the ball, and then you flip it to the defensive side of the ball and what they did to the Rams and Matthew Stafford, I mean – Really only one touchdown drive in that Thursday night opening game of the NFL season. And on that drive, the Titans kicked the ball out of bounds and the Rams got the ball at the 40-yard line. Had some had to go for it on a fourth down to get down there and finally score a touchdown. It was their only touchdown on the drive of the night. Last night, we saw the drive early on in the football game. That was it. So they're a different animal on that side of the ball as well. I mean, I think... And in the last few years, when they played teams like the Titans, I always go, oh, gosh, well, you know, hey, I know Josh Allen, the offense will be good, but, hey, you know, the, the, the Titans O-line is going to push them around, and they're, they're going to, they're gonna, you know, it's going to be second and five, and then it's going to be, oh, hey, first down run or a second and five play action pass or 10 or 15 yards, and they've struggled with that. But they never let Derrick Henry get going a lick last night. They dominated the Titans offensive line. And because of that, then the play-action game became useless as well. And that's where I think they're different than years past. They actually can be dominant on the defensive side of the ball. And that's exactly what Von Miller said after the game. They are playing this year to dominate. Gets back to the whole 13 seconds thing. You're never in a position where you need a coin flip in overtime or to hold a late lead or to have any of the things 
that can derail you that are basically at the whims of fate. You don't have to worry about that crap because your starters are on the sideline eating hot dogs in the fourth quarter and the backups are in because you've kicked the crap out of your opponent. That's their goal this year. And every once in a while, there's a team that has that aura. It's harder and harder to do in today's NFL with free agency, with the salary, right, cap, the talent. Get, remember, that's 70s Back in the old days, football. you're right. You knew it. Yeah, early 90s, right? You knew 86 you Jets. I mean, Giants, yeah. excuse me. No. Right city, wrong team. <laughs> but they just there's just a vibe. There's a vibe. 85 Bears had it. 84 ass. Niners yes. had it. You're right. You're right. You were like, this is just their year. It just the way the last year ended, their team. You know, yeah, you're you're right, and and it's one where I think you're right because of the 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 era we live in, we're a little afraid to do that, uh, and, and especially when we start hearing people jump on it, and we keep going, man, we can is every this can't be right. We're all we all think the Titans are Super Bowl contenders, and we try to look for uh, the Bills. Excuse me, keep messing that up. You know, try to look for little issues with their football team, but between the vibe, the quarterback, the way the defense looks. I'm with you, Mike. There is kind of that old feel that we used to get with, you know, and the Patriots too. Of course, they delivered that to us every year for the last, you know, 18 out of 22 years. But there weren't many years where the Patriots were wire to wire, kick your ass dominant. And the one year that they were the most wire to wire, kick your ass dominant was 2007 and they didn't win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Right. They were just kind of grind it out, scratch it out, claw it out and find a way to win, find a way to win, find a way to win. We really haven't had. I'm trying to think back. What I mean, the Rams last year were not definitely not. Like You're this right. Team that's just going to show up and kick your butt. The Chiefs. The Chiefs. The year of, they won the Super Bowl, maybe right? Maybe no. The year they won the Super Bowl was a year that Patrick Mahomes was injured, and we had kind of forgotten about them. 2018, the year they didn't win the Super Bowl, the year they lost to the Patriots on a coin flip in the yeah, AFC Championship. Yeah, they had the vibe game. that year. They had the vibe then, but but it's just the vibe is screaming out so early and so loudly. It reminds me of the great teams of the 70s and the 80s where you just kind of knew by the time autumn officially began, you knew, here we go, this is it. That's not exactly what the NFL is looking for, frankly. The NFL would not like us to already be in a position where we can de facto award the Super Bowl trophy. and. It, it, it is. It is way too early. Yeah. But the point is, you and I are on the same page here. The Bills are giving off that vibe. Yeah. Bring it on. And We're great. We're not even – they don't even seem like, you know, they're not ready. They're not celebrating there. It still seems like they're on a mission after the game. You know, yeah, right. You're right, Mike. It, it does seem different than what we see in a, on a usual basis. and. Part of that is like I always I think of you when I watch like performances last night like Josh Allen because you you used to you used to say this and you said it you know when we early early on started working they cracked the code Josh Allen seems like he's cracked the code he really does I mean just in a lot of ways it's just like every time he drops back you just sit there and go okay what amazing play is about to happen how many yards are they going to get on this throw it's almost like you feel like it's inevitable. He's going to get a completion, but is it going to be for 20 yards or 40 yards? Or and he's going to scramble and get in 15 yards that way? How is it going to happen? And I think that's where it's uh, a crazy feeling as you watch them as well. And I think the career progression, and you have to have the skill set to do this, but step one is get to the point where everything slows down around you. And there was another quarterback who may have played last night who may be getting into that mode where – 
you're able to make good decisions because everything slows down. And then I think you go next level. It's like the original Matrix movie when Neo finally realizes he's the one. Right. Everything slows down, and then you speed up. Yeah. That's where Josh Allen is. Right. He's got to the point where it's all slowed down, and now he's finding another gear while everything around him is slowed down. That's what I see when we just look at those plays from last night. This is a guy who understands exactly what's going on around him and knows how to take it and just blow it all up and and be the guy who is so different than anyone else on the field. Yeah, I, I think that, that says it right. And then, you know, you couple that with O-line seems a little bit better. There's a little bit more of a run game influence, but not a lot. I mean, it's not a lot. There, you know, you, we keep, every game I feel like, you know, we always think, well, maybe they'll run the ball a little more and do that. They just want to run it enough just so he can – put it in somebody's belly and take it out and get a big completion. That's all they're going to do. Uh, they're never going to be running the ball too much because of what you just said. They realize it too. It's the same feeling I got, like what I said, I was up there, you know, them on a mission, but just the belief in him as a person and as a player, it just kind of exudes through the franchise. And he makes plays and they go, you know, they, oh, wow, oh, wow. But, you know, they see it on an everyday basis up there in practice. Um, but he, he has given their team just an, an unbelievable level of self-confidence. And then I think it's just trickled down. And then you got a guy like Von Miller on the defensive side of the ball now that's, you know, teaching them how to play. And that's where it starts to get special here. And we'll see what kind of run they can go on. But, I mean, the fact – I thought Lewis Riddick made a really good point. The fact that Derrick Henry or nobody could really get his legs going or going all night, that was such a big aspect of the game. And then you couple that with Allen's performance. It was just night-night Titans, you know, by the time halftime rolled around. And anybody could have had Von Miller. He was a free agent. Any team out there that is saying – Oh, the Bills, oh my gosh, they, oh, they're stacked. They got Von Miller. You could have had him too. Any other team could have had him. Just show him the money and bring him in. Show him the love, and you could have had him, and the Bills got him, and it makes them better. The Titans don't have Von Miller or a lot of the players that the Bills have. Here's Coach Mike Vrabel on the question of whether or not play calling was the issue as the Titans failed to match the Bills point for point. I mean, playing and play calling go hand in hand. Um, you know, there's always going to be some plays out there as a player that you wish you had back. There's always going to be calls as a play caller that you wish you had back. Um, now is not the time. We've never done it. It's not going to be about one person. We got our asses kicked. Plain and simple. They outcoached us. They outplayed us. And, and that's the definition of it. And so we're going to get back to work and, and we're going to figure out a way to win a football game. Hey, you know, the Titans are in that mode and you and I talk about this every year. When one loss becomes two, you you get a little more antsy, a little more nervous, a little more stress in the building. Yeah. Got to get that win. Got to right. get that win. And, you know, the Titans 0-2, we're going to talk later about the panic meter. but And they're in one of the weakest divisions in football, so it's not as if they can't turn it around. But this really is a team who has fallen off. They really have. There's a different vibe around this team yes. than there was last year as they were beating the Bills on a Monday night. As Derrick Henry was unstoppable, and then they lose Derrick Henry, and they're still winning football right. games. There's something missing there, and I can't put my finger on it, but they're going to drop the curtain on Ryan Tannehill sooner or later and move to Malik Willis if they can't 
begin to get back to where they were last year. Now that may be weeks away, but why wouldn't if if things just go off the rails? Why wouldn't you? Why right. wouldn't you at some well, point? Yeah, just say we got we got to play the young guy because we've lost it. Whatever we had last year, we've lost it, and we got to try to get it back with someone else at quarterback. I, I hear you, but I think the point you made to start it there is really what's going to be an issue for that. You know, and and I still believe Malik Willis is the future there in Tennessee, so I'm not disagreeing with you, but. I, I do think the fact that their their division's not good, that the Colts are sitting there oh one and one, the Texans are oh one and one, the Jaguars are at top with one and one, and that they're going to be alive in this. And you know, as much as you know, Ryan Tannehill, yeah, he's not a superstar, and you know, the clock might be ticking in his time in Tennessee and all that. That last night was not a Ryan Tannehill problem, at least not in my opinion. It was not, you know. Uh, hey, no Harold Landry on defense. Definitely, they need their defense to be dominant. That hurts their football team. You know, they he's spent a lot of money on him and Bud Dupree, and they got Jeffrey Simmons to be dominant there. You know, to help you put your finger on it, their O line isn't as good. They're not as dominant. We've seen that in two weeks here, where they can't really get Derrick Henry going the way we've seen in the past. You know, they've they've lost some guys. Guys have gotten a little older. And then the other thing that you know, really, I think handicaps them or hurts them in a game like last night and hurts their offense altogether. There's no A.J. Brown. There's no difference maker on their team. There's no scary mm-hmm. player, right? So even in a game like this last year where you'd go, wow, it seems like I don't know if they're going to be able to keep up. It was like, well, oh, there's a jump ball to A.J. Brown. Oh, oh, now they got a little momentum. Oh, here's A.J. Brown over the middle. I think about like that Christmas Eve or December 23rd game against the 49ers last year. Remember, 49ers were kind of whooping their butt. What'd they do? They threw a few jump balls to A.J. Brown, and all of a sudden we're going, whoa, they're in the game, and they might pull this off. And that's, to me, a, a big part of what they're missing. And Traylon Burks and Robert Woods aren't you know, delivering in that capacity. The one team that – well, no, not – no, no, no. Well, the one team that had a receiver on its first contract. Yeah. The other receivers who moved were on their second contract. Brown was on his first contract, and they said, we'll just backfill with Traylon Burks with the first-round pick that we get from the Eagles because we don't want to pay this guy. The The experiment so far yeah, is winning. not going well no, it ain't. for the Tennessee Titans. <laughs> no, it's not. And, and you look at their schedule, they got three games coming up that they could win, should win. And we'll see if they do win. They got the Raiders coming to town, then they go on the road at the Colts and at the Commanders and an early bye in week six. They better win at least two out of the next three. They better win all three of them because after that early week six bye, the schedule is dotted with games like at the Chiefs, at the Packers, the Bengals, at the Eagles, which all of a sudden is, I'm not so sure I want to go there game, at the Chargers. They got the Cowboys still coming up. So they, they, even though they're in arguably the weakest division in football, they got to get some wins now because it's not like there's a ton of easy check marks later in the year. Next three games I think are going to be critical for the Titans going into that bye because who knows? Who Who knows? what kind of panic is going to set in in Nashville if they limp into this buy at one in five or something like that. Yeah, right. After being the one seed last year. We've seen erratic and irrational decisions made by this franchise over the past 10 years. The A.J. Brown thing is just one of them. There have been other erratic decisions and premature decisions, and, 
And I I could see that there are some folks in the building who, you know, hopefully won't do anything rash in week six. That's all I'm saying. But the best way to avoid it, win some games. Three winnable games coming up for the Titans. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I think, you know, Mike Vrabel, I, I always think about, like, when we were watching the game last night, there was a few times, because you and I had a lot of laughs about this, but that video we saw in the draft room, right, of him shaking his head right after they got rid of A.J. Brown. He got up to take a walk around the office and, like, shake his head because I think he was like, like, holy crap, Ola, we just – traded A.J. Brown. I, okay. I mean, just, you know, 10 days after I said he'll never be not a Titan as long as I'm here and freak show player. And I, you know, I, I can't, can't help but to imagine that, you know, he sh- has shaken his head about 10, 20 more times since then going, damn, we let A.J. Brown go specifically, you know, last night or last Sunday when he saw what A.J. Brown was doing for the Philadelphia Eagles. So uh, th- that's not easy, but I think you and I both agree that, you know, if there's one coach or things is going to get things straight here, Vrabel is he is that kind of guy. He is that guy. They're not. He's not going to panic. And the fact that he's at least with a guy and John Robinson who comes from New England, a GM there, and you know they're in this together. You know, I I think you know cool cool. What do they say? Cool heads will prevail here. And and I do believe Close that. Enough. They'll they'll yeah something like that. They'll they'll figure out their formula for what works for their football team. And I do think they'll still be a major player in the AFC. It's just, yeah, are they going to be a number one seed? Uh, the way they're playing right now, it doesn't look like it. But we'll see if they can get it straightened out. I do want to say this, though. You mentioned that Vrabel and Robinson are in this together. I wonder whether they are. Yeah. I just wonder. Okay. I wonder. Here's why. I got some evidence. Okay. You mentioned Vrabel's reaction right. to the A.J. Brown trade. Now, look, here's the problem. You got cameras all over the draft room. If you have a human moment, here it is. See it Good and they job, react guys. to it. Yeah. Right? Look at that. Yeah, he's here. Play it again. That's a oh, crick in man. the neck. That was like. I wish. I got that, was, that was a crick in the neck. Like, look, he's walking away. He's like, wait, I got to walk away. Look, shakes his head. He walked like, is, I can't believe we traded this guy. Look, you can hear another I, crick in the neck. Oh, damn. There, damn. Oh, AJ Brown. Uh, <laughs> but but let, me, let me go back to June of 2021 when they traded for Julio Jones. Remember when all that played out? John Robinson was the guy who did the radio interviews, the TV spots, the press conference. Vrabel was nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be heard. I believe Vrabel wanted nothing to do with Julio Jones. And what did Jones do last year with Tennessee? Nothing. Yeah. So, if and, and, and I'm a firm believer, and there's a chapter in Playmakers devoted to it, the importance of the coach and the GM being on the same page, especially because the coach is the one who's down in the pit every week, and who knows where the GM is. Oh, there's a GM up in the owner's suite sitting right next to the owner telling the owner all the things that I'm doing wrong. And I had a coach once tell me that he went to an NBA game and he was able to witness all the things that – the non-coaches were saying to the owner about the team and became horrified at what, my God, what, are they, what, what, what do the non-coaches in my organization say to my owner about me during a game, right? Right. But that's part of the tension. And I feel like they do a nice job of keeping a semi-lid on it, except for when people's <laughs> walking around the draft room wanting to kill somebody. But... You know what? If there's a power struggle to be had, 
in Tennessee. I don't know how Vrabel doesn't win it. Because they were right. Well, he was right if he didn't want Jones. And he was right if he didn't want to get rid of A.J. Brown. How many of those wins do you have to stack up before somebody says, we're just going to listen to this guy? This guy seems to know what he's doing. And and I'm not trying to cause trouble here, but we got to be real about this. There's reason to wonder whether or not Robinson and Vrabel are on the same page. And if ownership starts to get upset about where things are and starts asking tough questions, that's where that relationship gets tested. Are they truly in this together to the point where both go down or neither go down? Or, you know, if there's an opportunity, if somebody's getting fired, that's when the relationship is tested more than ever. And I don't I if this continues, we're careening towards something where ownership is going to demand answers to tough questions in Tennessee. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I mean, that it, it could go that way. I'm going to bet that it doesn't, though. I'm going to bet that, you know, just with the fact that knowing John Robinson a little bit, you know, us being around Vrabel, I, 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 I just they're real football guys. I think that's the first thing I do think out of two guys, I know everybody's got an ego in the NFL and all that, but these are two of the lesser egos, I think, in the sport where they just want to, like, watch film, evaluate players, come up with game plans and do that. So I, I, I got to think there's a healthy respect there. And, you know, they're, they're just – they have a, a grittiness about them as, as individuals that I think just works together, and then it shows on their football team. But, yes, as we know, like to your point, when things start to go downhill, you know, it, it can get ugly, certainly. But hopefully they can realize they've done a lot of good things here the last two years. Tennessee Titans have not been this relevant in a long time. I mean, not to this capacity. And I still think they're very much alive in the AFC South and banged up a little bit, got injuries on both sides of the ball to a degree, lose Taylor Lewan early on in the football game. You know, so where I do believe this is a team that will get better as the year goes. And then they're the kind of team that you're like, oh, man, you don't want to see them in the playoffs because it's a Vrabel, crazy defense, a game plan, and if they can get that run game rolling, all of a sudden you go, whoa, they got the run game rolling and they're keeping the ball eight minutes per drive, and then Vrabel does something crazy on defense, and all of a sudden you look up and you go, whoa, we're down 10 nothing, and it's almost halftime here and we've only had the ball a few times. So I still look at them as having potentially a dangerous football team from that, that standpoint. We'll just see if they can accomplish that. We mentioned the next three games before their week six bye. If they are one in four or worse going into the bye, do you flip from Tannehill to Malik Willis? It would depend. I have to see how it looks. I would. I mean, as much as I love Malik Willis in the preseason and all that, we know it was raw. You know, he would tell you that. Vrabel told us that. We saw it with our own eyes. I mean, it was it was fun to watch because you went, oh my gosh, look at that throw. Whoa, sidearm. Whoa, what a great run. But there was also a handful of plays where you went, whoa, I, he didn't see that guy in coverage, and or whoa, like I don't know what he was looking at there. So I, I, it would have to be like Ryan Tannehill really disappointing bad play. And, and again, last night, I don't – not that it was – you know they just got stuck in a game that was not made for them in a bad environment there that just all of a sudden they had to start pushing the issue, and that's not the kind of game the Tennessee Titans want to play. So I guess what I'm saying is – 
you know, I think they're going to stick with Ryan Tannehill unless they're truly like, oh, my gosh, it's so bad. we got to move on, and let's just start getting Malik Willis reps and start playing for 2023. We will move on and uh, talk about uh, other things in the NFL. Since there was only one game last night, we'll have to find some. All right, we, we have to talk about the Vikings-Eagles game when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, returns right after. Fly, Eagles, fly. That was an excellent run from Jalen Hurts. It Made was. the score 21-7 to in the second quarter, just under the two-minute warning. Um, and, I, you know, look, I understand you're trying to rip the ball out. But but at what point? Cause did, you, did you catch that? Yeah, no, like I know. Like around the four-yard line? Right. I'm going to try to rip the ball out instead of getting the guy on the ground. I know. I and know. it's great if you rip the ball out. Right. But if you don't, then he scores a touchdown. Like, you got a chance to tackle him. I don't know how they're coached. I don't know what the the points are that are made. I don't know if it gets that granular. If you have an opportunity to, to, to get the ball out, get the ball out, even if the guy keeps going right past you because you weren't able to get the ball out. But it just felt like they should have gotten him down around the five. And who knows what happens on first and goal from the four. Yeah, that's right. You keep make him keep we've playing. Seen, right. We've, yeah, we've seen we've seen drives peter out. When, right. When make we a mistake. Just assume, right you there. Know. Right there. Yeah. yeah and I, oh, I'm going to get the ball out. Oh, wait, he scored a touchdown. I, it's just it's just a bad look. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm a believer in, you know, you make the team keep playing, keep executing, keep the pressure on them. See if they make a mistake. Keep doing that. I'm with you there. But I do think in the NFL right now, because of the turnover margin and all that, and that being such an aspect in the football game, that you know it, it's not necessarily all about let's tackle them all the time. That is preached in a lot of these buildings. Get the ball out. Get the ball out. Get the ball out. You know, one guy get the ball out, the other guy coming in for the tackle. And they obviously didn't get that done, but there's such emphasis on getting the ball out and making a turnover happen all the time that, yeah, we see less than – you know, less than good tackling at times in the NFL as compared to the old days where they weren't worried about that as much. Can we run that again? I just want, Chris, I want you to to pretend as you watch the Jalen Hurts 26-yard touchdown run as I filibuster my way until the play begins again, if it does begin again. Replace the Vikings players with Steelers. Yeah, okay. I hear you. If this is the Steelers, what's happening to Jalen Hurts? They're they're, they're 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 hitting them. I mean, and it's like group group tackle hitting for sure. You're right. They got amazing pursuit, and they're gonna make you pay for it here. Here you got four guys, kind of. You got one guy trying to strip the ball, and three other guys kind of just sitting there watching. Right? Yeah, they're, they're standing around. Out. Yeah. You gotta. And, and now look. Now look. Now look. I say this with some degree of trepidation. I don't want to be canceled. And you're not allowed to say anymore, hey, go hit the quarterback. But you know what? The quarterback's running. He's a running back. You get a free shot at him. And I'm not saying injure him. 
I'm not. I'm saying you have a chance to make him think twice about doing that again. You have a chance to be physical with a guy that has to then regroup and have his wits about him. I'm not saying giving him a concussion. Right. I'm not saying go try to injure him. Just make him feel the way their presence. Always was. Right. You don't get a free path to the end zone just because you're a quarterback. If you're going to run the ball, you're going to get treated like a running back. And we see how running backs get treated. It is a thankless job. You think there's glory in it? There's glory in it in high school when you're so good you run past everyone. When you get to the NFL level, it is a thankless job because you are in, Chris, as you say it all the time, car crashes. For some reason, there's this sense that the quarterbacks get an exemption from the car crashes. Yeah. And that's the kind of play last night that makes me think who and, – and I think it fundamentally comes down to a difference in coaching. And I don't know whether – Players slash coaches are fearful of getting flagged for unnecessary roughness. But you and I have been party to the same conversations where the officials are supposedly saying, hey, once a quarterback runs now, yeah, he's they're not protecting back. them. They're We're not, not going to throw the flag out. Right. Because just because he got hit extension too hard of the pocket just right. because he ran the ball. Right. And again, I'm not saying, look. I'm not saying try to injure the guy. I feel like I have to say it every other sentence. Yeah, no, I'm not I hear saying you, Mike. try to inflict injury. This isn't Greg Williams' bounty scandal. Yeah. This is, if the quarterback is going to become the running back, he pays the price for That's it. That's right. That, it's a physical game. It's still a physical game. As much as it's been made safer and for good reason, if you decide you're going to take a 26-yard path to the end zone, it is not going to have a red carpet involved. It is going to still be football. And too many times when quarterbacks run the ball, it just feels like it just feels like they're afraid to go hit him. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. It, well, this is the best way to combat the running quarterback is make teams nervous about, hey, when the quarterback runs, this team's going to hit him. And to your point, you know, you're right. Steelers, Patriots, 49ers, you know, who else am I missing in that group? The Buccaneers, of course, right? They're, 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 the Rams, I'll even throw them in. The, they're, they're, they're bringing it. That's the one thing you can count on. There's going to be multiple people there to try to clean up the quarterback there, clean him out, not hurt him, just try to hit him really hard. And that is a, certainly a part of the game that, you know, I think defenses do get a little caught by surprise. And they look at it, they, oh, it's the quarterback. That guy will get him down. Well, not with Jalen Hurts. Not when he runs. He runs like a running back. Same goes for Josh Allen. We're not just – you know, the same thing Josh Allen runs. You better hit him or he's going to keep running. And they're never going to get nervous about calling run plays with him or doing anything that way. So, yes, but it's such a, especially for the Eagles, a huge part of their football team. And, like, where we talked about, like, Josh Allen, we cracked the code. Like, great Scots. Like, damn, the Eagles' offense has cracked the code. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, Jalen Hurts was great, right? But the offense itself has so many answers and gives you so many issues. And then you add in the fact that he's gotten better at throwing the football and then his ability to run like a running back. Yeah, those are things you're going to have to do, certainly. But damn, do they have some good system. You know, they really do. They put you in such a bind. Look at the early in the game. I mean, it's just... It's run the ball, gash you with their huge offensive line. It's, it's maybe the best O-line in football. And then it's, you know, little throw here, little throw here. And you go, damn, they, didn't, they ran the ball and threw balls to the sidelines to start the game, and they're going right down the field, going to score. 
I mean, so they got something going there. Philly is definitely in that conversation, I think, what we had with the Buffalo Bills as one of the better teams in football. And then when this guy, if he can be continue to be consistent throwing the football like this, yeah, they're going to be tough to beat. They're going to be one of the last teams standing in the NFC. Let me just make one observation yeah. running these highlights. And I meant to say this earlier. We don't need the second score bug ESPN. We don't need to know what the score of the Bills-Titans game is. If people want to watch that game, they'll watch that, that game. That me you know crazy. What else? Let, let me tell you what else. It's, yeah. it's distracting. It takes up space on the screen. And there are people out there who, whether they were watching Bills-Titans or watching Vikings-Eagles, they want to watch the other one later. You're spoiling it. For Agreed. somebody who is trying or to stop putting it on the split screen. That's it, the other it, thing. We don't, we don't need the split screen because people have multiple screens now. Whether it's side-by-side TVs, whether it's TV and phone, TV, we don't laptop, need to have split screen. Right, they right. went too far. They went way too far to yes. justify having two games overlapping. They, if they're going to keep doing this, and next year there will be three of these doubleheaders. They haven't decided apparently yet on the timing, but they really like the – the not-too-late second game because it opens up the whole country to potentially host these sure. games because you're starting at 8.30 right. p.m. Eastern. ESPN, I'm begging you. And you know what? I know they listen because I heard from some folks on Friday trying to spin me into understanding why they're doing what they're doing. We don't need the perpetual score bug. We don't need the split screen. We don't need Scott Van Pelt doing highlights of one game over the action in the other game. We definitely don't need that. We don't. We want to. We have that game on to watch that game. We don't. And I love Scott. We don't need him giving highlights for the other game during the action in the game that we're watching. It's we've evolved past that. If people want to watch both games at once, they will. ESPN doesn't need to show us both games at once, especially in deference to the people who want to watch one game at a time and are ignoring what's going on in the other game. Yeah. So they can enjoy if they choose to put in six hours. Because well, we don't, we're, we're reducing the, the burden on the, the fan. It's, it's a lesser time commitment. You know what? If you've got people out there that won't put in six hours back-to-back, let's set this up so they can watch all of one game and then watch the other game without having the experience of what, enjoying the second game and not knowing the outcome destroyed. So yeah. I beg you, ESPN, if you're going to keep yeah. doing this, think, think of those issues. Yeah. All right, and see, I'm with you there. Also, also by – by launching into that detour, I don't want to talk about how, how badly the Vikings uh, oh, Something happened to your horn out there in Philadelphia. <laughs> thing got broken. Brotherly got love stomped steak. on that crap thing. Somebody, that somebody crap shoved thing. a cheese steak down it. <laughs> Seriously. Like putting a banana in a tuba or something. Well, it just, um, it, you know, obviously the Eagles look like the better team. We're the dominant team on the football field. I think the disappointing thing to me about the Vikings, and we'll talk more about the Eagles because we, we des- they deserve to be talked about a whole lot more here, it's just that you know, even with the Eagles dominating, like we saw, there were some moments there where you go, okay, here they go. They can get back in the football game. They can get back in it. And you know, they go down the field and can't get points. And then they block a field goal and they can't get points. And then they get the ball back on a pretty short field and we throw an interception. And then miraculously get it back one more time and then throw another interception. It's just that to me. Drop touchdown pass by Irv Smith. 
you know, those are the things where, yes, when one team's better, even in the NFL, they're going to make a few mistakes. Can you capitalize on those mistakes and make the game interesting once again? And that was what was disappointing about the Vikings because there was opportunities for them to make this competitive. But, man, like, here, this was one of my issues. Did, did, did they not have a plan versus the all-out blitz? I mean, there was obviously not a plan in Minnesota for an all-out blitz. Those are the two things that jumped out to me. They had no plan for uh, when when the Eagles sent everybody and it was just man-to-man across the board, no free safety. And then the other thing, Mike, that just drove me crazy, and, and, and Tony Dungy said this on a group text last night, like, it, they had no plan to stop the Eagles' run game or Jalen Hurts' ability to keep the ball off the run game there. I mean, it was a gash session early on in that football game, and the Vikings were not ready to go, and definitely not like they were in week one. The, the defensive performance was embarrassing. We began this conversation talking about how easily the Eagles went right down the field, and that opening drive, everything they did worked. And Now, now I will say this. By the second half, the Vikings did clamp down. Yeah. There was no scoring by either team in the second I know, half. Crazy. The Vikings did slow them down in the second half, but still by then the damage was done. And if your offense isn't going to wake up in the second half, then then uh it doesn't matter if you're shutting them down. It doesn't matter. If you can't they wouldn't have scored 17 points if they had played a double header last night. So, um th- th- there was a key moment though, third quarter, Vikings come out of the gates because yeah. we learned on Sunday if a 21-point lead in the fourth quarter isn't safe, if a 13-point lead with a minute 55 to play isn't safe, a 17-point lead with 30 minutes to go That's isn't right. safe. And the Vikings right. came out, no huddle, tempo, moving down the field, and it was that second and 10 play from the 19 in the red zone. If we can play it again, it was the first of Kirk Cousins' three interceptions, primetime Kirk. And both Cousins and Jefferson, Justin Jefferson, the intended receiver here, said it after the game. That was on him. So Troy Aikman was right. Chris, you were right in the group text. Tony Dungy was right. Justin Jefferson needed to, jargon alert, cross the face of Darius Slay there. He's either going to catch the ball or there's going to be a pass interference because Slay squatted at the top of the route. So Jefferson needed to run past him or through him. Right. And, And when he looped around him, that set the stage for the interception. Jefferson acknowledged it. Cousins acknowledged it. That's what happened. And that was such a key moment because it felt like the Vikings had found their footing. It did. And it felt and it felt like it's going to be 24-14. You get a stop. It's 24-21. It's a new game. Yeah, no no question. I mean, it just the way the game is in the NFL right now, 2022, set up for the passing game to take over, 17 points is nothing anymore. I didn't look at that game and go, oh, it's over. Like you said, if they put something on the board right there, you're going to go, oh, there's pressure on Philadelphia. But that is a, a cardinal sin, a no-no right there from Justin Jefferson, certainly. He knows that, too. He knows it. He goes, yes, there's, there's, there's a trust factor there. And then on that play, Kirk Cousins has a little pressure. So he's got to throw the ball a little bit before he wants to. And these are the things you work on in preseason and training camp. Yeah, you cross the face. Maybe, maybe he gets to box him out right with the guy behind him and catches the touchdown pass. More likely in that right there. Yes, it's going to be some part of some sort of defensive holding, pass interference. At the very, you know, worst, the ball should just hit the ground and be incomplete. Period. 
Um, but he does kind of the, you know, he kind of jitterbugs it at the top there and goes over the top of him. And Kirk Cousins certainly wasn't expecting that. And, you know, of course, that was that was a big part of the football game, like you said. But that that's a no-no there. And you see, there's the pressure. So he's expecting him to be there. Kind of like, hey, nobody knows more about that route than, than Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin, they used to run this thing to death. And he'd throw it right into a spot. And he'd go, well, Michael Irvin, I know he's going to cross his face and use that big body. And I'm going to put the ball where it needs to be. And that'll be it. And, um, yeah, that was a chance for them to gain a little momentum. But then had, like, two more chances, three more chances maybe later on in the second half and didn't take advantage of that by any stretch of the imagination. Well, after that, because, look, if you don't have the interception there and you go to third and ten, even if you don't convert 24 to 10. That's right. At least it's something. Right. At least you got something on the board coming out of the gates in the third quarter. Then they block the field goal. And, hey, kudos to the Eagles punter. Seriously. Running down. That was a t- that that was the touchdown the Vikings didn't get on that drive. That would have changed everything. So the, the Eagles did a great job of of holding firm and just keeping the Vikings from doing anything that they were trying to do in the second half. And you're right. I'm. It's it's like Kirk Cousins wasn't even looking for anyone on those all-out blitz plays. He's just throwing the ball up for grabs. you got to have a better plan definitely, than that. Definitely. That so. goes on to Kevin O'Connell, too, there, right? Like, uh, just, there was just, there's, there, there wasn't anything. It was always just him fading away and, wait, let me try to find a one-on-one matchup and throw the ball up that way. And, of course, he doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. And throwing off his back foot or stumbling backwards, yeah, it led to a lot of almost disasters there. But, yeah, it was a concerning night, you know, for Minnesota. We'll see. It's a you know a, a totally different side of them than what we saw in Week One. But you know, the same thing applies to them a little bit. Like we we've always talked about the last few years, and I just wonder if it's going to happen again. Like when the Vikings can't run the ball and they don't have that effect, they just it doesn't ever seem like the pass game can really carry the load. Not that the running game has to go for one fifty or anything like that. But when there's just the threat and the presence, and there wasn't that last night because the Eagles' D-line dominated in the run game, then it becomes the drop-back pass game, and that's when you get concerned about the Vikings and Kirk Cousins and whether they can really make it happen. When Kirk Cousins is your leading rusher for the night. Yeah, that's not good. That's a problem. Right. That's a problem. Right. For other quarterbacks, not a problem. For Kirk Cousins, that's a problem. Two carries for 20 yards. Dalvin Cook had six for 17. His brother James actually had over 50 yards. I think he got a lot of his work in garbage time. He was in the doghouse last week for the fumble against yeah, the Rams. Right. But but it, but I think he, he's got the chance to be really good, too. If you, you, you be patient with him, let him work through the kinks of being a rookie in the NFL. But Dalvin, six for 17. But once you're down 24-7, you're, you're completely away from the pass game. What was disappointing about last night, in comparison to week one, week one, what they did against the Packers – it was easy to conclude maybe things are really going to be different. Last night, for anybody who's been carefully watching the Vikings in the Kirk Cousins era, the inescapable conclusion is it's not going to be any different as long as he's there. It's going to be the same. It's going to be the same. And if you're fine with that, if you're fine with 60-60-2, which is the career Kirk Cousins record as a starter, if you're fine with 9-8 and or 8-9, and if you're fine with... Maybe we'll be the seventh seed. Maybe we'll be the sixth seed. Maybe we'll get lucky and win in the wild card round before we get the SH-T kicked out of us in the divisional round by whichever team of destiny we come up against in the NFC, whether it's the Eagles or the Buccaneers or the Rams. 
If we're good with that every two or three years happening, then so be it. So I think that is the core of the disappointment and the resignation. You know, my, my kid is all in with the Vikings, and we got to watch the game together last night. And, Poor kid. You know, that it's, it's, you know I know, I know. <laughs> but, but it just felt like the Mike Zimmer Vikings. That was the problem. Yeah, I it hear It felt you. like it's no different. And I think that's the thing that they're going to have to fix. That's the demon they still need to exercise. We thought the demon had been cast out in week one. It's back. And, and the good news is I don't think they play in primetime again this year. Kirk Cousins is now 2-10 and 10 in Monday Night Football. At a certain point, that's not some statistical aberration. That is, when the lights are bright, this guy just can't, can't get it done. He can't rise to the occasion. Some guys do, like Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts. Some guys don't, Chris. I mean, listen, he's, he's not a superstar, right? He's a guy that needs a formula or a certain style of play. For him to be good about it. He's not going to be like, okay, guys, jump on my back and I'll carry the team. That's not what he is. And when they play like that as a football team, yeah, he's not the kind of guy that can overcome those obstacles like the top-tier quarterbacks in the football and just be like, all right, guys, I got this. I'll start making plays. I'll get outside the pocket. You know, I'll push the envelope with a few of my decisions and squeeze some balls into tight windows. It's not his game. Yeah, it's not to be expected. You know, but we'll see. I mean, again, but I'm 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 gonna as a friend of yours try to talk you off the ledge and just go, hey, let's not judge it too quickly here. It's the start of a new era. They are changing things over here. There is still some of the Mike Zimmer players vibe. They got to get their own guys in here all together. Let's see where it goes. Certainly, I know we have definitely heard from enough people that there's a uh, a better vibe, a new energy up there in Minnesota. That is a good thing, definitely. But that was disappointing across the board. You know, I didn't look at that last night and go, oh, that was a Kirk Cousins issue. You know, there were, yeah, he wasn't great. I know that. But, you know, you talk about, hey, Irv Smith, Irv Smith catches that go route, right? That was what, the, the first half, right? You know, there's, it's, it's 14-7. The Vikings just go down and score to make it 14-7. They get the Eagles stop, and then there they go, and you got a third and short. And Irv Smith can't win a little one-on-one over the middle against a linebacker. Troy Aikman did a great job of kind of pointing that out. So they need some help, too. It wasn't just Kirk Cousins. The whole team played like crap. They got out-coached, out-physicaled, and this was a huge moment in the game. I mean, that's, again, there's only so many opportunities you get like this in a football game. This is what gets momentum going. It gets the team a new life. And, oh, the okay, hey, we were playing bad, but here we go now. And that never happened for the Vikings. They were very close a few times with the block kick and some, you know, getting the ball back, but just couldn't get over the hump there to really make it competitive. It's a handful of moments in every game. Three or four go one way or the other, and it can be the difference between winning by 17 and losing by 17. It, 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 it comes down to making plays or not making plays in those key moments. Here's Kevin O'Connell, Vikings coach, on his first career regular season loss. Um, obviously, a you know very very difficult night, um, you know for our team. But you got to give the Eagles a lot of credit. Uh, they they outplayed us um, and, and really controlled the football game, um, really in uh, in a lot of phases of the game. Uh, but I, when I look back on tonight, um, ultimately I think uh, you know I put I put this one on me. Um, I put this one on me. I don't think I did enough for our team in game and. And obviously, I think our plan, uh, we felt good about our plan. They did some things defensively uh, and just seemed to seemed to kind of push us to the point where we just needed to make that one or two uh, plays on a drive to kind of get going and see if we could potentially finish 
um, and, and kind of capture that momentum. And then ultimately, uh, just as a football team, although our defense and, and special teams with the block field goal uh, defense with a, you know, forcing a turnover there late just to try to help us try to get going and ultimately weren't able to capture that. And uh, like I said, you got to give Philadelphia a lot of credit. But ultimately, I, I, I do mean it. I do feel like this one's on me. And look, that, that's the appropriate thing for him to say. He's still getting up to speed. And what a tough card to draw in your second game. Primetime Monday night in Philadelphia with a great team that may be the best team the Vikings see all year. That's the thing about early season games, and it's one of the reasons why we don't want to draw too many definitive conclusions about whether a team is good or not good because there is a chance the Vikings won't see another team all year long as good as the Eagles in that moment on a Monday night for their home opener. The planets line up. Jalen Hurts plays lights out. That may be the toughest game the Vikings have all year long. And, and we'll find out. Short week, Detroit Lions come to town. Lions have a different feel than they've had in recent years. This will be the test. Is it different? Is it not different? If the Vikings can do kind of what they did week one against Detroit, then I think folks will say, all right, we'll, we'll, treat, we'll treat that Monday night game in Philly as kind of the aberration and maybe the, the normal for the Vikings this year will be a little bit better. But it's, it's, not, like, it's not like it's an easy road. They have to go to Miami, which we now know is not going to be easy. But there's there's winnable games. There's definitely you look winnable at that schedule. Games. That's right. There's games to win. They're right. That's right. There's going to be a lot of games where it's it's 50-50. And can they make those plays that we just talked about? Yeah, the offense was underwhelming last night. There's no question. You know, yeah, it would, uh, just didn't seem like you know, there's as many creative plays as we saw in week one or the ability to get people open quite the same way. But I think to, like, to your point and, and to what you're saying here, I think is the real point is that, like, you know, you said this might be the best team. This might be the best team they play all year. There, there's, like, I don't know where it's going to end up. Philadelphia is definitely one of the best rosters in the game, period. They are. And I know I'm not alone. I know you're not alone. We talked about this a lot in the offseason. We all expect them to win the NFC East. You know, I, I, I got them going to the NFC Championship game when I had to do all that in my podcast. There's nothing to look at of their team and go, oh, wow, there's an issue there. They are really damn good, and they're really well coached on both sides of the football. So that was a big test to go there, their home opener on a Monday night. You know how crazy that stadium can be? Yeah, it was, it was a little much for them, but hopefully they can learn from it and grow from it in Minnesota. But, damn, I mean, the Eagles, you, Jalen Hurts, when they can run the ball like that with those weapons on the outside, and if he can just hit the guys that are open, he doesn't even have to be, like, spectacular. And last night he was spectacular. And then the defense makes plays like that and dominates the run game. They're going to be in the in the, the final countdown here with all these teams. And, and everybody out there needs to realize how good they are. They do. This is a team that, like, you look at their schedule and I go, there's, there's no question that they have a week seven bye they got the Commanders, the Jaguars, the Cardinals, and the Cowboys coming up in the next four games. They are better than all four of those teams. I got no problem saying that right now. Now, they got to go out in the field and do it and can't mess it up. But I don't see anybody on their schedule that I go, ooh, that team's got the same type of dudes the Eagles got until maybe week 12 in the Packers, and that's a maybe. They have the potential to be a 9-2 and two. 10 and one type of football team here with the way the schedule shakes out. Let's see if they can capitalize, but they got something special there in Philadelphia and Hertz plays like that. Like he did last night. 
watch out. They're a real Super Bowl contender in my mind. And you'll see, we, we'll, we'll have them on NBC twice. Week 6 at home against the Cowboys. Week 12 at home against the Green Bay Packers. Here's Hertz from last night on whether he feels more comfortable in the Philadelphia offense this year. I think everything comes with time, you know, and I'm, I mean, it's the same things that I've always said. It all comes with time. Um, and as time goes, you, 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 you find more comfort in what you're doing. You find more of a niche of what that looks like for you. Um, and I think as an offense, um, as a collective group, coach, Sirianni, Stike, um, Brian, myself, we put so much so much work in um, to trying to make things efficient um, and trying to be efficient. Um, you know, I said it earlier, no man is an island. You must draw your strength from others. Um, I, I can't perform without the other 10 on the field. Um, and same on the other side, they need me to do my job for them to eat. So um, it's a collective group. Um, it was a big team win, a big-time team win. Um, it's something that we'll definitely enjoy, but we have a short week and we're headed to D.C. Um, so we'll enjoy it for a little bit and, and get ready for the next opponent. You know, Jalen Hurts has always had that kind of natural charisma, that leadership, but I feel like the Eagles organization has been reluctant and slow to embrace him. I think after last night, they have yeah, to be getting him close. Right? We, we've heard we've heard the chatter. They were in the Deshaun Watson conversation. Maybe others. Yeah, definitely other others. Quarterbacks who right. potentially were available, whether it's Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray or whoever the case may be. Constantly looking and looking, turning over stones in search of a franchise quarterback. It was Jeffrey Lurie who said it himself a decade ago, our most important priority is to find a franchise quarterback. Then Nick Foles throws seven touchdowns and zero picks against the Raiders, and they think they found him. Remember Chip Kelly anointed him as the starter for the next thousand years, and that didn't work. Sam Bradford, Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, revolving door, and now Jalen Hurts. It may just be the franchise quarterback right under your nose who grows into the job and who ends up being a pretty damn good player. And, you know, I thought last year, it's like, okay, he can do enough to help you win. Right, right. If you do everything else around him. To me, last night, he morphed into guy who can go out and win the game on his own. Yeah. Not just a situation of he's good enough to win the game if you have a great defense and a great running game and great receivers. Now, I, I feel like he's becoming the guy – he's still got a way to go to catch a Josh Allen because it's only year three for Jalen Hurts, but it feels like he's on that track where he's going to get better before our eyes and maybe he will grow into this franchise quarterback role. Well, he definitely an NFL starting quarterback, right? That, that, that to me has been solidified. He's that now. Now it's just like you're talking about. How good is he? How good is it? You know, it's a little different than Josh Allen and stuff because everything plays through Josh Allen and the offense is all about him. And Philadelphia, it really starts with the run game and defending the run game with the running backs and defending him in the run game, and then that opens up everything there. And it does take that great overpowering offensive line to do that, but to your point, like, he's more than that right now. Uh, he's seeing the field really well. He's putting the ball where he should be. It's not a wow arm, but it's a good arm, you know? It's certainly good enough to get it done in the NFL, and then his toughness – you know, his work habits and his leadership and all of that, to me, that's where, you know, he is special. But, like, am I going to sit here? And, again, that last night was awesome. But it, there's still a part of me that wants to say, I, I, 
you know, again, I'm not holding the Eagles to, oh, I think they can beat the middle class and the lower class in the NFL. This team's a Super Bowl team. So when I talk about Jalen Hurts, I talk about it in a fashion of like, what's he going to look like when he's got to play the elite defenses in football that some of those easy runs might not be so easy. You know, some of those, and don't we just hand the ball up, up 10 yards up the middle, and then we fake that run up the middle, and I throw a ball two yards in the flat to A.J. Brown, and he gets 15, 20 yards. That's where I just w- want to see. But still, there's definite progress, and I think they're getting to the point, to your point here, is where they got a guy, you know, for the future. They do. And it seems like it's very close to where he's getting close to solidifying that. But I'm just um, I'm impressed by the man. I really am. He's got a great feel of when to run. He's got a great feel of when to hang in the pocket. He throws a great deep ball. And then the, the, other, the last thing I love about him is just the attitude like you talked about. Yeah, I don't know. Is he in his 20s or is he 55 years old there, the, the way he talks? Because he seems like the wise old man that's always been around, but yet he's in his 20s still. He's a very interesting character, and uh, it's hard not to root for him and like him. He's become a very vocal advocate in Philadelphia against gun violence. He right. some passionate words in the summer, and he still continues with that objective and agenda. I, I, he's a guy to admire. He I, is. Look, I, 100%. I, 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 I think he was spectacular last night, and it's easy to root for him because he kind of got discarded in Alabama, yep. and it's just always felt like the Eagles are are using the wandering eye for someone else, right. someone else. And now I've been one of those the, guys. Yeah. He's, he's becoming the someone else that they've been looking for. That's and, right. Uh, and, and coaching has something to do with it. And talent has something to do with it around him. But when you see the way he played last night, like you said, he knows when to run. He knows when to pass. He's making his reads. He had a great throw to Dallas Goddard at one point that they were raving about after the game that just shows how he understands the offense right. and how to get through the progressions and when to get rid of the football and how to deliver it accurately. And it is a difficult position to play with all the things going on around you. He stays calm in that storm, and he's getting better. You know, every quarterback at that age is going to get better. They're going to stay the same, or they're going to get worse. He's getting better, and I think that's great news for the Eagles. And I think they are a real contender. We're, we've said – for months, the NFC is wide open. Yeah. you got the Buccaneers. you got the Rams. Who knows where the Packers are going to fit? There's room for teams to step up, and the Eagles are the early season. Clear. I mean, I know the Giants are 2-0, and too, but it's Yeah, different. the Giants aren't in the class of the Eagles it's, on that it's team. It's a different right. vibe. It is yes. a different vibe. Right, right. I mean, the Eagles have shown in two weeks that they have the ability to be dominant, You know, even in the Detroit game. I know Detroit came back, and it kind of got close at the end, but – there were still two quarters there of like, whoa, the Eagles are unstoppable and there's nothing you can do. You know, that's what I find interesting about the NFC in general, too. To your point there, you know, one team that I'm going to throw in that category as well is the 49ers. You know, that, that was the thing I kept talking about on my podcast, and I know we hit on it in the preseason a little bit. It's just that, to me, the two of the best rosters in the NFC had quarterback questions. Well, the Eagles quarterback question is falling by the wayside in a hurry here. And now we got Jimmy G heading up the, the 49ers charge again to where it makes things interesting. But, yeah, the Eagles got it all. And, and the last thing I want to say, Mike, too, because, you, 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 you know, I, Jalen Hurts brought up, like in the era of we're all looking for the new offensive guy, Shane Steichen, if, he's going to be a head coach next year. He's been on my radar, and I know a lot of other people's radars, going back to his days in, in, in San Diego with the Chargers, and then going to the Colts with Frank Reich, and then here two years with the Philadelphia Eagles and Nick Sirianni, he to me is like, you know, 
public number, you know, what are you, a public enemy number one guy of the offensive mind who could be a head coach next year certainly deserves to be in that conversation from what I've seen over the last few years. And the benefit to the Eagles is this. If Steichen gets a head coaching job elsewhere, you still have an offensive guy. There's no doubt. Tied to Jalen Hurts. Sirianni's and you don't have to too. go out and find new attack, new playbook, new right. guy. That's and, and nothing against defensive coaches, but I would hire an offensive guy for that reason because that quarterback relationship is so important. You you do the Sean McVay thing. But do you think Sean McVay's knees buckled at all when Zach Taylor left, when Kevin O'Connell left, when guys leave for promotions? No, because he's still him. So Sirianni will, will groom another Shane Steichen and, and find the right guy, and, and he's got the relationship primarily Sirianni does with Hurts. Let's take a break. When we return, some aftermath from the brawl that happened, the fracas, the brouhaha in New Orleans between Mike Evans and Marshawn Lattimore. We'll break that down when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. 